We're in 2 Peter this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been working through this book, and uh, we're in 2 Peter 1. I've been out a couple of weeks, and I had uh, one of our students uh, who just finished seminary came and preached the last couple of weeks, and I'm so thankful for Hunter, and uh, he did a fantastic job. Just so proud of him, and uh, in fact, I was, I was watching online the last couple of weeks, and and thought, you know, he's very articulate, and uh, he's smarter than I and younger than I, and I thought, man, I better get back or uh, I'll be in trouble. But uh, 2 Peter chapter number 1 this morning, and talking about a priceless possession, a priceless possession. And uh, so Peter, Peter's been writing, and so he wrote his first letter, just catch me up to speed, catch us all up to speed. He wrote his first letter, First Peter, and he was addressing uh, persecution. He said, you know, hey, prepare for persecution from the outside. It's going to happen, and I don't want you just to survive it, but I want you to th- thrive in the midst of the persecution. And so he writes the the letter of 1 Peter, uh, and then he goes on into 2 Peter because, because the assault or the onslaught of the devil is not just what happens on the outside with persecution, but he says, be prepared because there's going to be uh, an invasion into the church ranks. There's going to be an invasion of false teachers, and so be prepared for the false teachers that will be coming into the body, and so he says, here's how you prepare for for the invasion of these false teachers that are coming. And so he writes in, first, in the very first chapter, uh, he begins by saying, here's how you get prepared for it. Number one, know what you believe. Know what you believe. Know that you're saved. Have a no-so salvation. And so from verse number one all the way through verse number 11, he's talking about a no-so salvation, understanding this, that my salvation in Ephesians chapter two in verses number eight And verse number nine, that my salvation, that I'm saved by grace through faith, it's not by my works so that we can boast of what we have done or what we haven't done, but it's a gift from God, entrusted, given to you and to me. So my salvation is completely by God's grace through faith in him alone and understanding that. And then he says, here's your no-so salvation. It's not just about going back. How do I know that I know that I know? He says, you want assurance of your salvation? Check your faith and see if it's growing. A a no-so salvation, a no-so salvation, a person who is saved, if they know that, I I know I'm saved because, man, I know that my faith is growing. It's not just based on an experience, a one-time experience that happened in my life somewhere along the way, but I've got a faith that's actually growing. And my faith, my growing faith, is an assuring kind of faith. And so from there, he says, not only should you know uh, uh, your salvation to be so, but then he goes into verse number 12 in this first chapter, and he's basically saying, hey, listen, you also have the word of God. And and, and so you need to make sure that the word of God, if you're going to be a successful saint in a world where there's a lot of false teaching that's happening, if you're going to be one that doesn't get caught up in the weeds and drown out, spiritually speaking, you need to make sure that, that, that the Word of God is a part of your life. It's kind of like a, a, I, I was reading a little bit about uh, pilots this week. 
I think I had an airplane illustration a couple weeks ago, but uh, pilots this week. And, 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 you know, the small planes, the small planes, these pilots, these guys that pilot these small planes, there's two different ways that they fly. Sometimes they'll fly uh, IFR, which is instrument flight rules. They'll use instrument flight rules. Or sometimes it's visual flight rules, VFR, visual flight rules. And, and, and the problem with visual flight rules, visual flight rules is that sometimes, sometimes my instincts don't match reality. That's the problem with visual flight rules. Sometimes my instincts, I, I don't know my altitude. I don't know my angle. I'm not sure what direction, in fact, I'm even heading. I, I can have spatial disorientation if I am flying. And, and in fact, the phrase, you've ever heard the phrase, flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, uh, that's where this phrase comes from. In fact, there have been many planes to go down because of a, of a spatial orientation issue where, where I've lost my bearings. I've lost my bearings internally. And, uh, and, 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 and spiritually speaking, that happens if we're not careful, if we're not flying by the instrument that God has given to us so that we might understand and, and, and know my orientation. The only way we can know that for fact is if we Know the word of God. And that's what Peter's saying this morning. Peter's saying, hey, you have a priceless possession with God's word. Don't forget, don't take for granted God's word. You know, when you're talking about the Bible, the Bible is an incredible book. In fact, when you're looking at the Bible, the word of God, it is, it is, it's just an incredible book. I, I'm getting ahead of myself now. But it's amazing because you can take the word of God and you can talk to a five-year-old and they'll be blessed through the word of God. But you can take a man that's 70 or, or 80 and been studying the word all of his life and yet still have a fresh word for you. I mean, the Word of God is amazing. No other book like it uh, ever been printed. It's, it's unique. And so it's a priceless possession. And so, and so Peter's writing, and he begins in verse number 12 to talk about this priceless possession, this Word of God. And he says in verse number 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to die soon, one of these days. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, or to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever made, uh, was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so this morning, just talking again about the Bible being God's priceless possession, and basically he says, number one, I want you to bring to your attention the durability of scripture, the durability of scripture. 
Peter was living life like he was leaving. In fact, it's interesting about Peter is that unlike the rest of the apostles and the disciples of Jesus Christ who were living with what we call an imminent view of the return of Jesus Christ, they were living expecting Jesus to return at any moment. Not Peter. He was very unique. And the reason why he was so unique is because the Lord Jesus Christ told him, you're going to die one of these days. Uh, You're going to taste death one of these days. Back in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and verses 18 and 19, if you remember the story, Jesus is walking with the disciples. He begins to speak. And he says this, verse number 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And then Peter turned around and you can read the rest of the story. said, what about John? <laughs> if I'm gonna die that way, what about John? But, but Peter was one. Peter knew that one of these days, it's not the return of Jesus Christ that I'm gonna experience with everyone else, but I'm gonna die. And so he's writing. He knows that it's late in life. He knows that it's getting late. And he understands that, hey, listen, what you really need is not me. You don't need a relationship with me. You need to remember the things of God. You need to know the one that we write about. And so he's writing to them and just saying, hey, I have personal limitations. I'm not always going to be there. I'm going to get taken away from you. And you need to make sure you are in the word of God, that you know the one that we have been talking about. In fact, when you're talking about people, oftentimes here's where we struggle along the way. Sometimes along the way, people just want a teacher rather than what's being taught. I mean, I just want a relationship with a preacher rather than just knowing what's being taught. And, and, and that creates a real big issue because the preacher is not always going to be there for you, no matter where you go. In fact, it's interesting when you hear people talk. I've had people say, man, you know, I really, I, I really love the church and everything, but I want to go to a smaller church because when I die, I want the preacher to know me. And, 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 and you know, to, to, to that I would say, can I tell you something? No preacher, no matter how good he is, going to preach you into heaven one day. So what, what difference does it make how well you know the preacher? You need to know the one that's being preached about. You need to know Jesus, and that's what Peter was saying. Peter was saying, hey, I just want to make sure you know. And he says, I want to remind you. He says, you've been established. I know that you know But you need to be reminded along the way. And why does he say that? He says that because of a couple of reasons. Number one, familiarity breeds contempt if we're not careful. And so he's writing to people. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm not bringing you anything new. I'm just stirring up within you. I'm just reminding you. There's no new revelation that's going to come out for you to hear. It's already written. It's already canonized. I'm just reminding you of truths that you've already been established in. Why? Because sometimes we just need to be reminded. In fact, the wording that he's using, and he's saying this, I want to wake you up spiritually because sometimes you go to sleep. Sometimes you go to sleep. What do you mean? Well, sometimes here's what happens to us. I already know the word. I've already heard that before. And we come and we gather together and we just know, man, I've already been down that road. John 3.16, we hear John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then we just yawn and say, I've heard that one before. You need to wake up. You need to wake up. That's what Peter's saying. 
He's saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to bring you anything new. Don't look for anything new. But don't look to be impressed either. But rather, cherish the Word of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. The Word of God. There's nothing new. I'm just here to remind you of things you already know to be true. Jude 3 and 4, the Bible says it like this. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord, uh, of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's just simply saying, hey, listen, there's no new revelation here. And so be careful. In fact, Paul even wrote in Philippians chapter number three and in verse number one, he says, it's about redundancy. I'm going to repeat the same things. It's not superfluous for me to write to you these things. In other words, I'm just going to stir you up by way of reminder. So he says, I just want you to know. In fact, he, he, he goes on from there, and, and it's, it's just saying, hey, as a master teacher, we know that repetition leads to remembrance. Repetition leads to remembrance. And when you're talking about the Word of God, it never gets old. The Word of God never gets old, ought not to ever get old. I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, for 20, 28, 28 years, I've been preaching from God's Word. For 28 years, I've been preaching from God's Word. I have preached messages from every book in the entire Bible. I've preached through chapter and verse over 30-plus books of the Bible. And I'm telling you, the more I know about God's Word, the more I realize I really don't know. There's always something fresh. There's always something new. If ever I'm coming to God's word, if ever you're coming to God's word and you just yawn and you're just bored, it's not because the Bible's boring, it's because you're boring. In fact, sometimes we struggle spiritually and we ought to examine our hearts. Why is it? Why is it that I'm bored? It could be that you struggle with what I would call spiritual constipation. I'm a student of God's Word, and I've read God's Word, and I know God's Word, but it's all being just stored up in me, and it never comes out. And if I'm not living it out, I'll get bored with the truth. God, help me. Peter's just writing, and he's saying, hey, listen, it's going to outlive me. You, You need to cherish God's Word. You need to get into God's Word. You need to let God's Word get into you. And I'm going to remind you of that until the day that I die. I'm going to write it down for you to bring back. In fact, it's interesting his wording that he uses. Verse 15, and I will be diligent that at any time after my departure. It's a word for departure. It means exodus. In other words, when you're talking about for the believer, it means that I'm leaving one place and going someplace even better. What a day that's going to be. It says, but, but to stir you up by way of reminder... <clears throat> You'll be able to call these things to mind. I'm writing them down. Why? Because I've heard it said this way, the dullest pencil's better than the most brilliant and sharp of minds. And so he writes it for them, God's word. 
the durability. He goes in verse 16 and he starts talking about the dependability of God's word, the dependability of God's word. And he really kind of addresses three different issues when you're talking about the dependability of God's word and why it's so important for you and why you need to understand God's word, why you ought to recognize that this is a priceless possession granted to me from God Almighty. And he begins with revelation, the revelation of God's word. In verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes on to describe what he saw at the transfiguration and what he, what, what, how he would, he would describe what happened when he saw Jesus Christ unveiled in all of his glory, and it was Peter, James, and John together. And so he's writing because, see, there are people that have come uh, over the centuries who have come in, and all they're doing is bearing falsehood. They're be- bearing myths, and they're bearing uh, fabricated tales along the way. And uh, the Talmud and the Apocrypha are filled with, with myths. That's why we don't recognize those in our Bible. The Greeks would tell myths of the gods, and they were polytheists and believed in all these different gods and fairy tales that are made up in the hearts and in the minds of men. And so what he is saying is simply this, hey, listen, we have the canon of scripture that's been given to you. Now, did they have it yet? No, not yet, but we do today. We have God's canonized scripture today. In fact, the Bible talks about God's word and how it is complete. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. And so today, we even have religions that are based upon the Mormons or, 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 or the Muslims who have the Quran or the Book of Mormon, and, and, and it's additional writings, writing in addition to or taking away from a little bit of truth, but then there's a lot of lie. And he says, be careful about those things. Be careful about those crazy visions that people start talking about that they're having Because you've got a more sure word of prophecy in your hands. You can see through it. So he uses and he says, hey, listen, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't made up. Peter, James, and John and I, we were there on the mountain. And they could go so many stories. But they said, we were there on the mountain. Imagine being there on the mountain when Jesus Christ and Moses and Elijah come together. And Jesus is unveiled in all of his glory. And all of a sudden, Peter is so overwhelmed that he says, man, let us build some. Let us build some little, little, little tabernacles let us build some little places to worship and 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 i heard the sound i heard the voice of god almighty that's what peter said god almighty said this is my son this jesus is my son said i'm not making that up says god revealed himself to us in his word we're not creating a way to get to God. We're not creating a religion for you to follow. God revealed himself to us. It's God's revelation. And he talks about God's revelation. And then he says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. And he goes on from there. But he's talking about, again, the superiority, how, how, how uh, experience is wonderful. It is wonderful, but the written word is even greater. Why is that? Why would he say that? 
Why would, why would the written words be superior to my personal experience? Because sometimes my eyes see and can be deceived. Sometimes what I see is not really true. Sometimes what I hear is, and sometimes my experience isn't really true, and I can be deceived. And so when we have experiences, what we must do is bring our experience to God's word. And that's why it supersedes it, so that my experience can be examined by God's word. Was this from God or not? And so, and, and, and so that's why it's superior to my experiences along the way. I mean, I, I think about experience. You ever had experiences where your mind played tricks on you? And all of us have had our minds play tricks on us somewhere along the way. I remember flying. I don't know why I was flying. But I remember flying one time with, with, with Bonnie, and, and we were going, and, uh, and I was sitting right over the engine, big old wing out there, and, uh, and I was watching that engine, I was watching it, and you know, in your mind, you're just thinking, man, how in the world does this thing have so much weight on here? And I'm always thinking these thoughts, and I'm looking out here at this wing, right, and, and the engine, and, and, and it just, the wing, the wing starts getting dark, and it just kept getting darker and darker and spreading further and further. I'm like, Bonnie, you see this wing out here? It's getting dark. <laughs> and so I, I, I rang that little you know, and I had that waitress, or the stewardess, stewardess, said, hey, <laughs> this wing keeps getting dark. I don't know if the engine's getting it hot or what. And uh, she said, sir, uh, the sun's just setting on the other side of the plane. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, good, because my mind was playing tricks on me. But Peter is saying, hey, listen, I'm not putting, a, I'm not putting down experiences, but be careful. Be careful. You, you, you want to know for real? Do you want to know for real? In recent years, in recent years, you want to see what he's talking about and what he's addressing? You, you, know, you know what one of the, the top-selling books have been, Christian books, in the last decade, within the last 10 years? The top-selling Christian book, last 10 years or so? Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. What's wrong with that? It's a book about experiences. And when you have the privilege and opportunity to which Bonnie and I have had the privilege and opportunity to speak to the author of the book to find out that no, the fact of the matter is what you're saying doesn't line up with scripture. And yet, and yet, how many people who are born again believers who have the word of God sitting in their hands got all excited because somebody wrote of an experience and they said, wow, heaven must be for real because that boy had an experience. When the fact of the matter is, it wasn't even him. It was his daddy telling him what he talked about. It's crazy. God gave him wings that didn't fit. <laughs> Y'all all right? Revelation. Peter's saying, we didn't concoct a bunch of tales. God gave us the word. Not only the revelation of the word, but the illumination of the word. Verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And he's talking about the illumination of Scripture, the power of Scripture. You know, that's what makes the Bible. I mean, there's so much that makes the Bible so good. But I'm telling you, the Bible is a book with a heartbeat. That's how I've heard it described before. The Bible is a book with a heartbeat. In other words, it can impart life. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and changes and imparts life to people. Saying, hey, listen, 
Your hearts are dark places. And when the word of God starts to shine into your heart, it's as if a veil is removed in your heart of hearts such that you can now see the light of day, such that you can now see more clearly. And that's what happens along the way. I'm thankful for the word of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, in Romans 10 and verse 17, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In fact, the apostle Paul was writing, still writing, Romans chapter number one, verse number 17, and he said it like this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the power of God, for it's the, it's, it's, it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that leads to salvation, First for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, the word of God is powerful. The word of God imparts life. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, hey, listen, know what you possess in your hands. You have the opportunity to declare God's truth. How will, how will they know unless somebody shares with them the gospel? The gospel, it's powerful. He's saying it will illuminate. It will illuminate unto salvation, but not only unto salvation, it will help the believer to navigate the murky waters that you're living in in this world. There's so many voices that we hear and so many distractions along the way. How do you know? How do you know how to navigate all the different voices that are thrown at you? God's word. Peter says, it's God's word. Let that be your instrument panel, God's word. In fact, Psalm 119, verse number 105, and Psalm 119 and verse number 105, the Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what his word will do for us. How do you live? How do you live life? It's impossible, impossible. When you're talking about living as a successful saint of God, how do you know the will of God without the word of God? It's no wonder that we look and long for clarity because we're not shining God's light into our life. Peter's saying, hey, you've got to have God's word in your life. And so he's talking about the illumination of God's word and the benefits and what it does for us along the way. In fact, I would encourage you. Here's a great little study for you. And this is just, just, just by way of... of, of, of Go into Psalm 119, longest, longest psalm written in Scripture, and, and, and write down. Go ahead and write down. Here's what you write down. Look for things. Read, read Psalm 119, and as you go, write down the words describing the word. How many words do you come up with? The words describing the words. And then begin to write down the benefits and blessings from God's word. It's all about the Bible. It's all about the Bible. And I'm telling you, it'll bless you. It'll give you a new It'll give you a new appreciation for God's word. Psalm 119. He goes on from the illumination to the inspiration of Scripture. The inspiration of Scripture, verses 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human uh, will. But men moved by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And so he's talking about the origination 
of Scripture here. That's what he's talking about. Some people would say, well, he's talking more about uh, understanding Scripture that has been written. He's more speaking to the origination of Scripture. However, when you're talking about, here's where you do have to be careful uh, because along the way, there are some that, that, that believe that when you're talking about the Word of God, do you know that when it comes to the Word of God, there are absolutes? That, 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 that truth, when you're talking about truth, do you know that truth, truth is, is, is objective, it's not subjective. And so when you're talking about God's word, we would say, someone that believes in God's word would say this. They would say, hey, I believe in absolute truths. I believe in absolute truths. It's what God says. What God's word says is an absolute truth. Now, if there are a lot of different interpretations that are equal and true, then there's no such thing as absolute truth. If you, if you approach God's word, if you approach God's word and you say, well, that's your interpretation, but this is my interpretation, and I'm open to all interpretations, when the fact of the matter is, if there's all interpretation, it's dependent upon you for the interpretation, then I would say there's no such thing as an absolute. But there is an absolute because it's God's word. And so when you approach God's word, understand this. There may be a lot of interpretations but there's not but one that's right. There's only one right. And that's why you got to study God's word. That's, that's, that's where God's word never contradicts itself. When you come to a passage of scripture where you feel like, I'm just confused because it seems to be, it seems to be a contradiction. You ever seen that in scripture? It seems to be a contradiction. Know this, God never, never contradicts himself. And so you've got to go with what you know to be true, crystal clear truth. And then you begin to study and you practice what's called hermeneutical principles. Make sure, make sure that my interpretation is not in contradiction with other truths from Scripture. There's only one truth, one absolute, one interpretation that is right. God help me. And help us to know and to understand. But he's speaking not just to interpretation here. He's talking about origination. He's saying, hey, listen, you know what the Bible is? The Bible is God's word. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God moved like, a, like the winds in a sail. Moved and spoke. It's God's word. In fact, over in, in, in Timothy, the Bible says it like this. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. All scripture, that means from cover to cover, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Just simply saying about the word of God that God's word, the Bible, the Bible is God's word. And because the Bible is God's word, it's infallible, it's inerrant, uh, it's authoritative in every area of life. It's God's word to us. It's God's revelation of himself to us. And so God help us to understand his word clearly. And what Peter is saying in this passage of scripture is simply that you possess, a, you have a priceless possession with God's word. There will be voices. There will be situations. There will be times when the water gets muddy and God's word will give you clarity. 
That's what Peter's saying. I don't want you to shipwreck. Be careful. Don't, don't, don't try to live life. Don't try to live life with visual flight rules. But use the instrument that God's given to you. It's not about, hey, it's not about going out and studying all the demonic doctrines and saying, I know everything that they believe down the street. I don't know everything anybody else believes, but I do know one thing for sure. I know that the Bible is God's word and it's true. God, help me. In fact, when you're talking about God's word and, and, and being truth, God, just help me to know what your truth says. That's all I need to know. That's all that I need to know. It, it, it reminds me of a riverboat pilot, old man that, that, that wanted to be a riverboat pilot out on the Mississippi River, came down there said, man, I want to be a riverboat pilot. And the dude was interviewing him, and he said, well, why do you think you, you can be a successful riverboat pilot? He asked him, he said, do you know, do you know where the shoals are? He said, no, sir. He said, do you know where the sticks are? No, sir. You know where the rocks are? No, sir. Well, then what makes you think you can do it? Because I know where the deep water is. And as a believer, you just got to know where the deep water is. It's in God's word. It's in God's word. There's a man, Robert Dick Wilson. He was professor at Princeton University. And he was a theology professor incredible, brilliant mind. And, and the story says that he was teaching class one day and he was overwhelmed with emotion. He stopped teaching. And he held his Bible up in front of the class and he said, listen, this book is filled with mysteries. But one thing I know for sure, it tells me, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Aren't you thankful for God's word? I mean, it's a hymn book. That's what I've heard it referred to. It's a hymn book. Why do you call it a hymn book? Because it's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. He does love you and desire a personal relationship with you. Let me just encourage you this morning. Two things. Number one, are you saved? Are you born again? I'm talking about a no-so salvation. I know that I have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. If that's never happened in your life, I want to invite you to encourage you. Uh, The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus loves you, desires relationship with you. And the problem is we've all sinned and fallen short of glory. My sin separates me. But Jesus Christ on the cross, that's what the cross is all about. Jesus Christ on the cross paid for my sin that separates me from a holy God. And if I would just receive him, he conquered death in the grave. After three days, he's alive and desires a living, loving relationship with you. That's what it's about. It's not religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. And if you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you today to call on his name. Hey, you might be here and you might be a a Christian. Uh, But the word of God has become boring to you. Let me just encourage you this morning. Before God, Father, forgive me. I have not been in your word I don't want to be. Revive my heart. Revive my spirit. Get back into God's word. Get back into God's word. Would you do me a favor and join me for prayer this morning? We're going to pray. After we pray, we'll sing. And after we sing, we're going to be down front. We'll have people standing down here. And if you say, I'd like to pray with somebody. I'd like to talk to somebody. If you have any questions, 
You come this morning. Don't walk away from here, but do business with God. Oh, Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for loving us like you do. God, you've been so good to us. Lord, I thank you for your word. Oh, God, I pray that we would cherish your word. Oh, Father, I pray that we would understand. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit blessing us with understanding. Oh, God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to proclaim your truths, that we would show your love and share your truth to a world that's desperate to hear. Oh, God, help us be faithful. Father, I pray for those this morning that are here. Father, some never been born again, never been saved. Oh, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would knock on the door of their heart. They might be saved today. Father, I pray that you'd have your way. And God, as we close our time this morning, I do pray for those, Father. We do have families that are struggling, Father, with sicknesses. And I pray, God, for your touch, that you'd encourage hearts, that you'd restore health. You are the great physician, God. You are in control. And Lord, help us, help us, even through this time, to navigate. We love you. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.